2: Body bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. They say you can't fight City Hall. That's true. But you know there's there's one constant in our universe that you absolutely cannot fight, and that's gravity. Gravity follows us everywhere. I know that sounds a bit odd to say, but it is the truth. It's that one constant in science that essentially keeps us in place here on Earth. And we bend to its will even while we're sleeping. Everywhere we go, everything we do, gravity is the dominant force in our life. It keeps us pegged to the chair. It, uh, we measure our footsteps by it. We adjust our equilibrium accordingly, or adjust to the equilibrium that's dictated by our balance, to try to negotiate our way through gravity. I, I don't know that there's any feeling in the world that is puts you in a position where you feel totally and completely helpless, whether it's on a roller coaster or maybe having the thrill of jumping off of a high dive, if you've ever done that. I've done it twice, I think, in my life and didn't want to do it again. Or all of my friends in the Army that accepted slots for airborne training, which I turned down because it's just not my thing, man. But just imagine, if you will, you've been assaulted, you've been restrained, and you've been in the back of a vehicle. You're going down a road. It's you and the person that you love the most in the world. And you can feel the incline of the road as it begins to go upwards to the apex of a bridge. You're gathered up, torn from the car. You feel weight that's being applied to you, and it's being applied because you have a rope tethered to your body that on the other end there is a 30-pound weight, and then all of a sudden you're cast off of the side of a bridge that's roughly 10 stories high, falling free through the air until you plummet into the water below. You've gasped your last breath, There's nothing to save you. You can't fight against the gravitational pull, plus the added weight. Today on Body Bags, we're going to discuss the horrible deaths of Kenneth and Lakeitha Joseph. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. I used to have a recurrent dream when I was a child, Dave, and it always had to do with falling. And uh, interestingly enough, my first memories of this dream were, (laughs) of all things, being taken to the top of a levee in Louisiana, uh, adjacent to the Mississippi River, and being flung off of the levee in my dream, by my mother and her two brothers, and it and it would always end with me striking not the river because the river was dried up. I've never seen the Mississippi River dried up. I've seen seen it kind of receded, but I've never seen it dried up. And of course, as you hit in a lot of these dreams where you fall, you wake up with a start, and there's nothing else. quite as terrifying as that. And when I came across these cases, I had kind of a connection to it because it took place in Louisiana and it involves a bridge and it certainly involves a tremendous fall. But the fall itself is merely the end of the story, as it were, uh, because it's the finishing. It puts the cherry on top of the torture that these people sustained at the hands of some really horrible people dave if you want to know why we're headed down this path
3: with bridges and everything else there are two places to start in this story one is at the end and that is the death of lakeitha and kenneth joseph and kettlebells now i have like you have had many dreams in my life but at no point in time did i ever have a dream where I had a kettlebell tied to my alive breathing body and tossed over a bridge, uh, to my eternal demise. So when we tell you this story about Lakitha and Kenneth Joseph is about them being murdered, that's just part of the story. That's not the end because we don't know exactly why we know we have two dead people, but we don't know why. There are some ideas, but I'm telling you, the investigators, because I looked at this from the beginning to the end, you start with, we have two people missing. That's the first report. Dozens of deputies searched the swamps of St. John Parish Friday, looking for a couple from reserve. They concentrated their search along I-55 between Monchak and I-10. Is that how you pronounce that? Manchak. Manchak. The Josephs have been missing three weeks. And when you have a couple, 34 and 29, Kenneth is 34. Lakeitha is 29. A young couple, married, goes missing. You expect to be able to turn something up fairly quickly, but three weeks and they were still looking. Lakeitha's mother, Terry Hart, said, this
2: has gone on too long. We just want our family back. I got to interject something here, Dave. There, uh, When you begin to talk about cases like this for families, people, I think, they resign themselves after a period of time that this is, they hold out hope, but they've also, there's one part of them that resign themselves to the fact that this is not going to end well, perhaps. There are these kind of tears, and not like T-E-A-R-S, but tears. There's levels to these kinds of events where you have families where individuals have gone missing, and they do hold on to that one little thread of hope that exists but then there's a reality after a period of time where the individuals are not perhaps going to turn up alive, and there's that hope that they have that when they go missing, you have this thing that's welling up inside of you and I've heard families say this over and over again about we were so terrified, we were so afraid that they were being mistreated, that they had harm being done to them, and then the next tier it kind of ascends into this different level of where the individuals are found dead eventually. And then you have a whole different group of issues that they have to kind of work through and deal with. And that's what these family members are dealing with. And to that point earlier, they did have to deal, I think, and it was proven out in the cases of both of these people, that uh, they did have to deal with some level of torture and pain And all those things. And can you imagine you're a family member and suddenly those worst fears are confirmed by the authorities?
3: The worst fears. You're right. Lakeitha Joseph's body, her body actually floated up out of the water and was recovered, had a nylon rope tied to the leg. They've been looking now for over three weeks when her body is found. What kind of condition is her body going? Assuming she, no, wait a minute. Would you be able to tell how long? she had been in the water when you get her out based on the time, you know, that she was alive on this date and are missing rather on this date. You know, could you determine if she was in there the whole time or if she was just dropped in there? How long? I, I Oh was yeah. Wondering. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It is that nuanced, uh, that you can tell if someone has been freshly placed into the water as opposed to been there for, a protracted period of time. Let me back up just a second, just so that folks understand. You know, you'd mentioned, uh, I think it's St. John's Baptist Parish. They were from Reserve, uh, Louisiana, out near Manchac, where their bodies were eventually found. This is on, and if people don't understand the geography of kind of the New Orleans area, where they were from was on the far western end of Lake Pontchartrain where they were eventually found is on the far eastern end of Lake Pontchartrain and actually in an an intercoastal waterway. And you know that the bodies could not have floated because you're talking miles upon miles upon miles to accomplish this. But to your point, uh, when you think about bodies that are in this water, and just to set the scene, this water is brackish water, which means it's a combination of both freshwater and, and seawater. It's right at the mouth of where the Lake Pontchartrain actually begins to kind of open out into the gulf. That area of the lake will be higher in salt content than, say, the far western part. And it's interesting because Lake Pontchartrain itself, as a body of water, first off, it's the largest saltwater lake in America. I didn't know that. Uh, Yeah. And of course, everybody knows about the famous bridge that goes across the Causeway Bridge. It's 20, I think, right at about 26 miles long, the longest bridge in the world. The water, the salt levels in the lake itself vary greatly from one end to the other. And so with a body that has been recently thrown into the water, you're going to see these kind of changes because the dead go through these changes just like the living dude you're do you remember i don't know if you had this experience uh you had a, a grandma or, or mom if you were swimming they would say come let me see your hands yeah and, and if your if your fingers were shriveled up they'd say you know you need to get out of the pool for a right, while you're and, uh, yeah not that that really makes any difference but you know bodies go through that too the deceased go through that and and they will have these kind of modeled changes that take okay. place with the body um, and dependent upon the water temperature and exposure to direct sunlight, the salt, all those sorts of things. And we haven't even touched on animal activity because you get out into areas like this and you're not just talking about, you know, people, the first thing they think about are sharks and there are sharks in Lake Pontchartrain. I've right. caught sharks in Lake Pontchartrain. Okay. Now, which, just so we can be clear here. Yeah.
3: Lake Lake Pontchartrain is a salt water, but it's brackish water. It's not it a hundred. Yeah, it's not right. ocean. It's not an ocean lake. It actually it, I didn't realize it was that big. Okay.
2: Just, yeah, I, it's, I just it's, didn't I also it's didn't know massive. that bridge
3: was twenty-six miles long. Well, didn't that's the that.
2: cause that's a causeway bridge, and it yeah. kind of cuts cuts the lake in two. Okay. Where they where they would have been found mm-hmm. is adjacent or it's in a uh intercoastal waterway that literally takes ships out into the Gulf. So you're transporting goods out through this area, a lot of tonnage goes through there. Yep. And that's another thing that when you have bodies that are floating in areas like this, they can get damaged by vessels. And if you've ever been on a boat, you don't realize that you hit things in the boat many times. Right. You might hear a bump or, you know, something like that, but you start to get out and into these intercoastal waterways and you're talking about cargo ships that are out there. So they can bump against bodies. They can drag bodies. They can actually traumatize bodies just by, you know, striking them because you've got this huge wall of water that's being forced in front of the boat as it's moving and either it creates its own little kind of tidal effect Mm -hmm. at that point in time. So a lot of that is going to be quite impactful when you're doing your assessment on the body. Uh, and, of course, you're looking for marine life. Have Do you have animals that have been eating the body? Because they do. Uh, crabs are the worst offenders. In this particular in- environment, that would be blue crabs. Um, you know, I've pulled uh, bodies out of canals, out of rivers that are adjacent, that are brackish water, and certainly out of lakes, and out of the Gulf of Mexico, where the bodies are just covered in crabs. So you could determine if a body was freshly put in the water or had been
3: there for a while based on all these other factors, but could you tell the difference between say a
2: week and two weeks? That's kind of difficult to do. It's not as simple with a, what we refer to as floaters and that's kind of the term that's used. Uh, People might be uncomfortable with that, but that's just the reality. One of the biggest keys with bodies that are, found in, um, floating in bodies of water. Do you have a body that is subsurface or do you have a body that is on the top side, if you will, to use a naval term, the longer a body has been floating free in this, this aquatic environment, there's a higher probability that the body will swell and will rise to the top and in this case both bodies had risen it's just that they were not recovered at the same time. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and a big shout out to AstroPro for sponsoring this episode and providing free samples. I live in an area where allergies are a day-to-day issue, and finding an over-the-counter option for relief is like the Holy Grail. I use Astapro, and I strongly recommend you give it a try. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, and it's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays can take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with AstroPro. Go to AstroProAllergy.com for a discount so you can AstroPro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. AstroPro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Years ago, when I got out of my field full-time, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I had sleep disorder. I had depression. And for me, I had to turn to someone to talk to somebody that could aid me along the path to healing, to restore me to that person that maybe I was at one point in time, to make me better for not just myself, but my family. If you're thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You can do this any time that you like. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com/bags today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com. That's better. h e l p.com slash backs. You'd mentioned previously uh, that the St. John the Baptist Parish Sheriff's Office had gotten involved in this missing, what they thought was a missing persons case. And there's a reason they're searching. You know, when these two were noted to have been missing, both Kenneth and Lakeitha. The police arrived at their home, which was actually in St. John the Baptist Parish in Reserve, a place called, it's a little town called Reserve, Louisiana. You know, when the cops showed up there, Dave, their home had been ripped to shreds. I mean, you know, the police knew something was up. The house had been ransacked. They were last seen February 18th. They were reported missing on February 19th.
3: And so police go to their home because they're going to search, see what they can find. And that's what they find is
2: on, on that day, right away, they find that place has been trashed? Yeah, yeah, wow. they do. It's a curious thing. You know, the police can only go with what they have. I mean, if, if you have somebody, if you're dealing in a case where they might not be on your criminal radar as an investigator, you're showing up. you're showing up to these sets of circumstances cold, if you will. I mean, you're, you're cold. You, you, you don't know which way to go. So the police in that particular jurisdiction begin to look at this case and they're thinking, okay, who are their associates? Why is it that their home is trashed like this? And we can't find them anywhere at all. And, you know, it, you're looking, you're, you're actually looking for, for a break that, that could come about, you know, relative to uh to anything that's gonna lead you in a direction of where where they they may have been. You know, looking at the initial report on
3: missing, I saw that Kenneth borrowed a ban from his sister. Right and was just going to hold on to it for a day, just using it for the night and then was going to return it the next day. And that was their first tip off. Because that was a, it was a shock. He did not return the van the next day. When police go to the house, they find it vacant, they find it trashed, and they don't find the van. So immediately, it looks like something bad has happened. This isn't just a couple who hopped in a van and kept on, run, you know, leaving. Something bad has taken place because it shocked their entire family. The condition, the home, the no van. Where are Kenneth and Lakitha? That's where the family is. And so, three weeks later, Lakitha's body is found in the water and they find the nylon cord tied to her leg. Kenneth's body was found was it a week later, 10 days later? It was it was yeah, not
2: found at the same time. No, 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 yeah, it was not found at the same time. It was it was weeks later when his body literally and we we use, industry term here, the body pops up. Right. And you know, that's a big indicator for us as to time because it takes time for bodies to swell to the point where they're going to come up. And, you know, back to Lakitha. Lakitha had this cord tied to her that was still hanging loose. And they refer to this, it's a blue nylon cord that's still hanging off of her body, but there's nothing attached to this cord. However, when Kenneth's body is found, and just think about this just for a second, when his body is found and he pops up, they retrieve his body approximating, you know, the same geographic region where mm-hmm. Lakitha's body is found. Dave, he, he still got, he still got this 30 pound kettlebell attached to the end of his rope. And, you know, they know, you know, they knew probably with Lakitha's discovery that they were dealing with a homicide. And this is only reinforced, you know, when they find Kenneth's body. And for those because, who don't you know, know what who, a kettlebell
3: who, is, it's a workout weight that you buy. Right. It's, a, it's,
2: you know, one piece, what, two and a half pounds up to, I guess, 40 or 50 pounds. You can get them. I, you know, we have them here at our gym at the university. I use them probably not as much as I should, <laughs> <laughs> but they, they are, uh, and they're filled with different things you can, but these, what's really cool about this, from a forensic standpoint, is that these kettlebells that were or the kettlebell that was found attached to uh, to Kenneth was actually purchased at Walmart. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a real insight here. We know that they were purchased at Walmart because they're Gold's Gym brand kettlebells, and guess what? Walmart's the only place that sells them. Okay. And so for for an investigator wow that's like a gigantic discovery at that point in time Now it might not be a brand new kettlebell but we do know that it's a, a gold's gym kettlebell okay
3: now they the kettlebell in this case that was tied to kenneth joseph was a 30 pound kettlebell correct yes all right now kenneth was a he was 210 pound man he's five right. foot five 210 pounds so mm-hmm. he's He's kind of round, okay? He, and the reason I'm saying this is because I have an, a legitimate question. No, please. We know that, that his wife, Lakita, that her body rose to the surface without the kettlebell attached. We know she had right. a rope, and, and I'm going to make a leap of fa- uh, leap here based on evidence. I would be thinking if I'm a cop, well, we knew it was tied to something. Now we know maybe it was a kettlebell that it was tied to since her husband shows up a couple weeks later tied to a kettlebell. But with their, their weight, at death have anything to do with how long that they would stay attached to the kettlebell that the kettlebell could keep them under, I would just think 210 pounds would require more weight to keep it underwater than 125 pounds
2: that Lakeitha weighed. I think that probably in this case, I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but they would have been better served. First off, if they had used a chain instead of a nylon rope. And secondly, that you probably added an additional kettlebell, 30-pound kettlebell to each body to kind of offset because this is what you're fighting in this environment. And if you've ever seen like an old war movie or something where fighter pilot crashes into the ocean or they're ejected, when they have a life vest on, they can pull this this rip cord on their life vest that's deflated. You're not going to fly around with an inflated life vest and immediately, and you know, and they talk to you about this on planes, even when you, and immediately this adds buoyancy to your body. Okay. Imagine that. Imagine that. And, uh, the body is, is subsurface after it's being weighted down by the kettlebell. And of course the weight of the body itself, but what's going on internally with the body? Well, You've got these, and we've talked about this before, you've got this autolytic decompositional process that the body is going through. Gas is being expelled internally in the body as as the cells begin to be digested. The gas has to go somewhere. So when you see these bodies, they begin to bloat. And bodies bloat on land too, okay? There's some great images from the Civil War of battlefield shots of soldiers that have fallen in the field. And many of them are swollen and bloated. You'll hear people refer to it in literature. As the body begins to swell beneath the surface of the water, you have this tremendous buoyancy. And it might not happen immediately, but after days and days and days of this body being down there, it swells progressively. And so that offsets the weight that was initially utilized when you have, uh, you know, this kettlebell that was insufficient to the task, it's probably the heaviest kettlebell that they had available in the store when they were purchased in order to, you know, complete this act. So Lakitha,
3: obviously the kettlebell that was used to tie, to weigh her down came loose
2: and her body was able to come up to the surface, correct? It did. Or, or perhaps, um, Remember how I talked about an ocean going vessel, right? You would need, what would, what would be very interesting. This is a nylon rope and you have to imagine that the rope that was utilized was probably taken from a greater length of rope. Probably both, both of the ropes that were utilized in these cases came from the same point of origin. So one of the things you would look for is to see if the end of the rope is frayed as a result of taking an edged weapon and cutting through it. And you'll kind of have this kind of even, even cutting along the margins of that rope. Or if this is something that occurred as a result of the thing being struck by a vessel, an ocean-going vessel, and the, the thing is clipped into in kind of a jagged way, that might be an indicator. But here's one more piece of information about Lakeitha is that When the forensic pathologist examined Lakitha, one of her legs was broken. And so the big question is, I think, was the leg broken? Was her leg broken as a result of anti-mortem trauma where she's being tortured? Or is this something happened in the post-mortem state as she's floating down in the intercoastal waterway?
5: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: One of the biggest problems that you have with bodies recovered from water is that they do decompose, obviously. They bloat. The bodies go through all of these different changes relative to an aquatic environment that you don't see with what we refer to as dry decomps. The bodies change in such a manner that it's quite challenging. I think in the morgue where you pull these bodies out of bodies water, and and just kind of a little aside that folks might not know know about bodies that are recovered out of water, there is something that presents on the surface of the body that's called adipocere with um, with the dead that come out. Now, you can see it on, on dry land too, but it's more pronounced with bodies recovered out of water. Adipocere, the old timers used to refer to it as death wax. And it actually looks like, Dave, this kind of mushrooming manifestation that looks like cauliflower or hard, hardened cottage cheese. And it's essentially the fat that is breaking through the skin. And it, when you touch it, it's actually firm and hard to the touch. And i found in my experience that sometimes the adipocere can occlude or, or block your ability to thoroughly examine the body, particularly at the scene. You have to get back to the morgue to really take a look at the body under great lighting and really put your thinking cap on. And one of the real problems is, is that when you get bodies back to the morgue that have been pulled out of water, there's a certain level of repulsiveness to the bodies that you don't encounter even with with dry decomps. There's something about it. You're dealing with wet bodies. You've got water that's sloshing all out of the bags. You'll have animal life that come in with the bodies many times you'll have it's a different kind of of smell that kind of comes about with the bodies the clothing are all wet and then you're trying to be careful because you know that if the body has been in a, in a in in the water you're losing evidence so you have to be very very careful so your senses as a practitioner your senses are being your own overload you're being really assaulted and and I can only imagine that when the forensic pathologists and the technicians got their hands on Lakeitha's body and on Kenneth's body that they were facing the same thing.
3: You know, in looking at this, there are, there are many people involved in this case. I want to break it down very quickly because the way police were able to tie it together really is amazing. Uh, oftentimes when we hear a case nowadays, DNA is involved in a sign, you know, you see people with uh, lab coats on and doing stuff in the lab and, uh, you know, that's where the case gets solved. Uh, it's not what happened in this case. You're talking about all the forensics that come into play and all the police work. Joe, prosecutors got a break early on. The, remember I told you about the van? Right. That, uh, Kenneth had borrowed a van from his sister. So when uh, the official investigation began on February 19th, when the family says he borrowed a van, didn't come back, we go over there, the house trashed, can't find him anywhere. A couple of days after this, remember we're in Louisiana. Right couple days later, as they're looking for the van okay, and two people, well, the van shows up. It shows up at a uh, travel lodge motel parking lot in Atlanta,
2: suburban yeah. Atlanta. Yeah. How, how does it wind up? Yeah. You know, I, I've made that drive many times in my life, Dave, as yeah. you know, almost 500 miles away. Yeah. How, how's that possible? And that was where, you know, this is one of those things. Well, how would they,
3: the people go, well, how would they possibly even find, how do cops know to look for it? They got those plate readers dry uh, at night. Police officers uh, on routine patrol all over the place go through hotel parking lots with their little tag readers and they find out, you know, oh, there's out of state tag, you know, and all of a sudden you find out, hey, this, this is a missing vehicle out of Louisiana. Boom. That's their first big break. So detectives then link the van to a guy they know. He's an ex-con named Frank Mike Jr. So they call Frank Mike in. Hey, buddy. I guess he had the van, you know, which is He's an ex-con. He's got a van. It belongs in Louisiana. What are you doing with it? He tells police he got the van from his street nephew, not his, not a biological nephew, just this is a nephew, you know, his name is uh, Stephen Future Bradley. He's a rapper. His rapper name is Future. And police start looking at this and they tie They're trying to find a tie back to Louisiana. That's their whole key. So Frank Mike Jr. says, I I got the van from my street nephew, Future. And they go, well, where's Future? Future is actually being managed by a man out of Louisiana. The man is Horatio Johnson. Police tie all the, again, no DNA here. We're not talking about, we're talking about police work. Now, Joe, they know the van now ties back to Louisiana and the man of Horatio Johnson. And because of Future, tied to a recording studio. This is where the uh, uh, Horatio Johnson is the manager and they were recording at the same studio that Kenneth and Lakeitha were in. It's a studio in Louisiana
2: a recording yeah. studio. Yeah. It's actually in Metairie, Metairie, yeah. Louisiana, which is kind of geographically located in the center between where they were domiciled and where their bodies were eventually found, which is fascinating to me. Unbelievable. There. Yeah, it it, it really is. So you tie this all together with just good sound police work,
3: tracking what they know, and they're able to track it back. But again, you know, they still don't have a motive. And this is the key here. They don't have a motive, but we can tell you circumstances. Because there's a woman, she is a former prison guard. Uh, Her name is Brittany Martin. When Brittany Martin was a prison guard, she ended up in a relationship with a man who was in prison. And by that's against the rules, but they do it a lot. A lot. Yeah, more than we'd ever want to actually know because yeah. a lot of rules get broken in prison. But Brittany Martin ends up in a relationship with a guy who's in prison on a manslaughter charge. So he's already killed one person. Horatio Johnson is that convict. Horatio Johnson had been in prison for manslaughter. He's now tied directly to this van the couple had to this recording artist, rapper, Horatio, uh, future. The names are going to get confusing, but the bottom line is Horatio Johnson and uh, Brittany Martin had a romantic relationship when he was in prison. They had an on again, off again relationship after that. But Brittany Martin apparently walks into this studio in met. How did you pronounce that? Metairie, 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 Louisiana. Brittany Martin walks into this recording studio in Metairie and she sees Horatio Johnson strangling
2: Lakeitha and Brittany Martin walks in on that. Yeah. And she walked, can you imagine walking in into this recor- recording studio where, you know, Horatio Johnson has kind of set himself up as a music promoter and oh, by the way, from time to time he deals in cocaine oh. as well. And so you've got that, but here, here's the, the, the interesting thing when you start to try to understand the relationship between all of these players it turns out it actually turns out that horatio johnson and kenneth joseph are first cousins dave so you've got this this relationship that's established and if you're an investigator and you're trying to figure this out because look you and i I think we'll both admit that this is complex yes, in the sense is. of all of the players that are involved and everybody that kind of enters in and off of the stage. Um, th- there was a, a moment in time, I think, and you always get to this kind of critical mass with a lot of these cases that are very impassioned where you can either choose to walk away or you're going to go down another path where you're going to wind up, Putting your hands on somebody and doing great harm to them, but you know what? Neither, neither Kenneth nor Lakitha were murdered in that recording studio, Dave. They were not murdered. They were not killed at that moment in time. That their death, that I want that you know I want us to discuss, (laughs) actually is something. It's not like their heads were stoved in. It's not like they were executed and shot in the back of the head. They were kept alive, Dave. They were kept alive. They were kept alive to the point where Horatio actually recruits these people within his circle to help him facilitate the out-and-out murder of these two people via I would say one of the most horrendous methods that you can possibly even imagine, and that's by drowning. That's by drowning, Dave. They, he goes, they go to Kenner, which is a city that's just adjacent to Metairie. If you've ever flown in, they're in Metairie
3: at the recording studio. At the studio, when when the violent activity between Horatio and Lakitha takes place, so now one has to assume. They all get in the van and they're yes. headed they're going to go from Metairie to their ad- locate but on the way got to stop at Walmart to pick up what the detective the prosecutor
2: calls it a murder kit a murder kit which a murder kit you- at Walmart do they yeah, actually no. have a is that in the where do I find that at the Walmart Joe it's not in the home goods section I can okay. assure you and and murder kit is is a weird term for them to use because a murder kit traditionally in our field is something that's associated with serial killers I mean, you hear that. And I think that they use that for to spice things up and to make it kind of dramatic. Uh, but what they did put together were implements so that they could facilitate a homicide. So, yeah, I guess you could say it's a murder kit because <laughs> they went in, they purchased nylon cord, and they purchased, guess what, kettlebells manufactured specifically for Walmart Gold's Gym kettlebells, two of them. 30 pounds each. And it's weird. They're, they're, they've taken this really uh, circuitous route, if you will, where they leave Metairie. They drive back to the west, to Kenner, to this gigantic Walmart. And then they get on the road and, dude, they drive all the way back east now. And they're taking, they're not staying on interstate highway. They've got these people in the back of this van, and can you imagine the terror that is rising up with this couple as they're being held against their will? They've been beaten up, and the reason we know that they've been beaten up, actually, Lakeisha's body, her head in particular, showed evidence that the forensic pathologist stated that she had sustained what's referred to as a subscapular hemorrhage. And I know that people might think that we're talking about the scapula, your shoulder blade. We're not. We're talking about subscapular as in beneath the layer of the scalp. But here, here's the thing, Dave, that, that hemorrhage is caught between the scalp. If, we've ever, if you've ever bumped your head, you get a subscapular hemorrhage where you'll have blood that will set in between the exterior table of your skull and the scalp itself. She was beaten down, but she was not killed she was not killed both of these people dave were lashed with this rope that was subsequently tied to a kettlebell and then tossed over the side of what's referred to or by locals in this area as the green bridge and it's this gigantic structure that you know crosses over crosses over the intercoastal waterway it's just an absolutely horrific death, day. Knowing, because they're tied onto the... They they know, I mean, I'm assuming
3: the hands are tied behind their back because they're not going to leave loose hands. They got their feet tied together. They've got the weights tied around them, and they're alive. This is like something out of a movie. This is not something you ever... Usually, I think of somebody killing somebody and getting rid of the body, you know, putting it in the water. When I read the report and saw drowning was
2: the reason I thought, you've got to be kidding That's like the ultimate torture, Joe. It it is. You've been beaten down. You're terrorized. Your heart's pounding uh, a mile a minute. And you know that there's no way that you're ever going to break the surface and breathe air again. And as it turned out, Dave, in this particular case, both Lakeitha and Kenneth died as a result of drowning. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Packs. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through.
5: 18 plus.